All right, uh, welcome to another episode of the Speed Change Repeat podcast, today with uh, Timo Müller, who is uh, leading the Center of Future Mobility at McKinsey. And um, I'm very glad for you to be on the show, Timo. So uh, thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. Hello, Jonathan. All right, uh, then let's get started. So we always uh, start our podcast the same way so that we give uh, the guest the show or basically kind of the opportunity to introduce him or herself to kind of uh, understand where the pay a person comes from and basically, you know, how they ended up at the, the place or position they are in currently. Yeah, happy to. And, and let, me, let me start very early in my life, so to say. Um, so to start with Timo Möller, um, I'm partner in McKinsey and Company, leading our global center for future mobility, McKinsey, which is our think tank on all the things which are going on currently in the industry, driven by the ACES or case trends, but then impacting many other areas of, of our lives and our industries. Um, how did I end up there? So basically, I... Um, and, and that might become important later on in the conversation. I grew up um, in, the, in the countryside, small village, right? Um, uh, and and uh, then did my A-levels then later on and, and uh, started something um, to, to study or wondered what I should study and started then uh, a mixture of uh, mechanical engineering and business administration, which we call Wirtschaftsingenieurwesen, um, in, in Darmstadt. Um, kind of um, I'm saying that because I, I'm um, in, in, in still a guy from the old world, right, with mechanical engineering, um, who, who always found that um, cars um, are really something great and cool. Um, and that's why I wanted to, to get deeper there in understanding how this is all working. And, and also, my, to be honest, when I started to, to do my my um, studies, I, I always thought, hey, the automotive industry is something I want to work in because um, the products are so um, cool and great um, and I want to uh, co-shape that. And um, at the end of the, of, um, or close to my diploma, I realized um, that something like um, a management consultant is, is a cool thing to, to combine still my two, let's say, um, worlds, which was, um, back then mechanical engineering and business administration or management, so to say, I can continue that kind of um, uh, living in two worlds, um, basically working on the product, but also having also the economic uh, economies and in, in, economics in, in, in my mind. And so I, I, I looked for the best consulting firm in the world and, and I figured out that McKinsey is the one, right? Um, so then I, I started um, there with um, very classical topics, which basically um, I spent 10 years of my consulting life in, uh, which was uh, product development, um, um, product strategy, um, portfolio strategy, these kind of things are relatively close still to the product itself. So which cars um, do you have in your pipeline? What do you what do you really want to develop so that you develop an admirable product for the customer, given the customer needs? Um, also things like module strategy, how can I create many different cars but still leveraging the same or similar components? So things like that, always on that interface. And I was really passionate with what I, 
was working on, um, helping my clients um, to come up really with cool, cool cars. Um, and then later on, um, that was then back 2014, something like that, um, we realized at McKinsey that those trends, which we then already could see back then, so like electrification, but then also autonomous driving, shared mobility, connectivity, um, is, is, is more than or are more than just trends like um, an innovation, um, anti-breaking system or something like that. It's, it's really something which it's, it's technological driven innovation, but it's, it's something which is really shaking up the industry and, and we can go in, in more depth later on. Um, but those, those trends are really shaking up how the industry works basically in its foundation. So what business models you have, what, um, what value pools you have, what com competitors you, you need to look at. So basically everything is changing. Um, and so that was then the point where we said at McKinsey, um, we, we really need to put our heads into, into that, those topics and we, we really need to um, do research on that. Um, and, and that was the moment where we invented uh, our think tank, which we nowadays call the McKinsey Center for Future Mobility. And, and I was the lucky person who, who had the opportunity to, to shape that center from the very beginning. Um, and thinking through what are the things we should focus on, um, how should we interact with clients um, to help them in the best possible way to, to define their, their future strategy in that whole new mobility ecosystem. And basically since then, um, I'm, I'm doing that, right? I'm, 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 um, I'm building um, uh, our, our center and um, while doing that, doing great research and, and building great assets on the one hand side, on the other side, helping clients um, to, to leverage those and then really come up with a clear path for their future. And, and this is this is really um, a, a, an area which 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 uh, I'm still passionate even after now, what is that, uh, six years close to, um, super passionate every morning because it's so, um, it's a, a, a diverse field, um, and 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 it, it starts with the topic themselves, ranging from from topics like regulation over techu uh, technological innovations, um, but also the the range of clients you are helping. So it's obviously the the classical automotive industry, but I would say more than fifty percent nowadays of my work is with with other players from telco, insurance, logistics, um, who are all um, affected um, by, by that, um, seeing large opportunities, some, but others also seeing quite some risks, uh, what's going on. Um, so the range of, of, of client questions um, you need to solve, so to say, um, is, 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 very, is very broad and, and, and so it's, it's, it's fun every day to, to crack the nuts, so to say. Yeah, uh, very interesting. So um, let's say before we dive into, uh, let's say each of these very interesting topics, uh, I want to know how how does your uh, how does your work basically differ in let's say within the center for future mobility compared to let's say the typical the typical project work that you have let's say within a consultancy environment. 
That's a very good question. To be honest, that has also involved, evolved over time, over the last uh, five, six years. Um, at the beginning, I think we, we very much really invested into, I call it research, right? Knowing that it's not the same research that we are doing at, at university or while I was doing my PhD, but still it's, a, it's, it's, it's research in a sense of really trying to understand what's going on and conceptually and analytically thinking things through without a specific client question in mind or without a specific client in mind, but really thinking the industry through, um, thinking of scenarios, um, doing cost models for an EV, for example, and, and trying to think through what levers do you have to improve profitability, but doing that really independently from a specific client. So that was, um, I would say, it was the focus in the first um, um, couple of years, one, two years even. Um, and that was obviously very different from classical um, the classical work I, I did before and, and, and many of my colleagues were doing those days, which, which were mostly helping clients in a specific situation on a specific project. So that was independent. Now, we didn't that do just for our own purpose to become smarter, obviously. Um, so once we had a, a clear um, set of, of perspectives, um, also analytical tools, um, we obviously then entered um, very soon then a discussion with clients to 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 trying to help them with with those perspectives and tools and assets um, and and then it became um, I would say much closer to to strategy work we are doing on in other areas um, where where you are really thinking through the, the big lines of the companies going forward. Um, and maybe then still there the difference um, even then was that we in those strategy focused projects we still leveraged um, a lot of the, the things we developed before so we, we started a project with already having uh, a relatively clear idea on what are the, the critical points so to say in for for such a client be it from from automotive um, or be it from insurance or whatever but we had already relatively clearly in mind that the, the big dynamics um, could basically on day one start already with 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 that perspective and then we are um, we, we got or we get a lot deeper um, faster I would say than in other um, let's say average projects um, and and nowadays um, if I wind still a bit forward um, today I would say since we are now a lot more also in not only in strategic projects anymore, but also a lot of, let's say, implementation studies, thinking through specific business models, trying even to build them, or referring back to my product development um, friends, like indeed working on specific um, electric vehicles to, to bring them on the road. It's it's so those kind of differences uh, and borders between an in, in, in MCFM, so McKinsey Center for Future Mobility project, and a normal project are blurring. We are working hand in hand, so to say, bringing our assets and and perspectives into let's say regular projects. All right. So basically, you're kind of um, it's kind of like a specialized unit, you know, that kind of then works together with generalists, for example, right? That are, let's say, more the general consultant, for example. 
Exactly. Right. Today, it's it's. I would say a lot of the work is is, is mixed teams with mm. with folks from us who who still invest more of their time into research and right. developing something and and the, the generalists which which you also have in other projects. Okay, fair enough. All right, then uh, let's just uh, jumpstart right into, let's say, uh, the, the big topics that we have. I would say, uh, I suggest that we just go like by the, the four big trends, or let's say the four big areas. And uh, I'll just start by throwing in uh, something that I observed, uh, let's say, on, on each of them. And then we'll just dive into, into them. So let's, um, uh, let's start maybe with uh, the shared. The shared aspect, so shared uh, shared mobility, uh, something that has been uh, kind of, I have a feeling, uh, especially 2019 and 2018 were the years of uh, shared mobility, uh, where kind of a wild west um, attitude to to the whole uh, thing. And uh, the funny, I, I always, uh, when I think about shared mobility, I always kind of laugh a little bit about it because in 2019 and 2018, the, the feeling was kind of that mobility uh, is completely changing and everything is only going to be a shared mobility. You know, everything is kind of in a shared, like every startup that you kind of heard of uh, was kind of shared. And um, a big example on that was uh, obviously the whole uh, scooter uh, conversation, the, the whole e-scooters e and e-bikes and everything in like almost every European or let's say global bigger city had kind of one of uh, or multiple providers of, of these. I kind of want to uh, kind of want to know your opinion on, on this whole uh, spectrum, because I recently also had a discussion with an entrepreneur, a founder of a car subscription company. And uh, he said, actually, the one interesting fact that he brought up is that, you know, that still 75% of individual mobility is a car, you know, and not shared. And the, fun, the funny thing is that when we talk, when we are, let's say, having conversations in this whole mobility space, you know, it kind of seems that this whole, you know, every startup idea, whatever, kind of has to do something with shared, you know. So what is what is your perspective on this whole field? Um, it's a wide field. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and maybe just as a, as, a, as a structuring approach for our conversation across those ACES trends in general, I would say let's, let's really have a, a longer term perspective. So maybe 2030 or something like that in mind. Um, and then at the end or sometime in between, we can also kind of double click a little bit on the current COVID-19 driven situation, right. which which basically has impact specifically on shared mobility, for example. Maybe that upfront, um, we don't um, gen very now, generally speaking, we don't even in the, in, the, in the 10 years perspective, we don't expect massive uh, change through COVID-19 um, on, on those ACES trends, let me put it that way. Um, and, and that's why I think it's absolutely fair to to, to keep it out um, of our mind for the moment, and, and, and maybe we can catch up a bit later then on, on, on that topic. Now, I completely agree. Shared mobility had kind of a, a lot of attention over the last few years, um, two, three years even, if you if you also consider in the e-hailing uh, stuff going on. And, and just maybe to to add a bit uh, some numbers here. Um, we, we, we are doing for quite some time now screening what, is, what are the startup investments in, in those ACES trends um, and in the, the sub-technologies there. And, and since uh, 2010, we, 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 we kind of registered uh, 300 billion US dollar of investments into the ACES trends in, in startups, basically, in that field. Um, and, and, and roughly a third of that 
is is going into into shared or went into shared mobility. Um, so in the in the e-hailing, uh, but also in the micro mobility space, roughly uh, eighty uh, uh, billion in in, in e-hailing. Uh, roughly, um, I think it's, uh, it's one digit, something probably eight nine um, billion into micro mobility. And and so there is there there is good reasons why let's say um, entrepreneurs are looking in that space because investors seem to see a huge potential of, of that area and that's why I think that's that's kind of a driver for many of the of the of the startups to say hey I need to get also my feet into there because there seems to be a lot of money um, so um, and and I, I I have a good idea there why shouldn't I try it out. I think that's 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 a bit of the reason for, for that um, kind of just the, the availability of money in that in that field. But there's uh, it's it's not just completely let's say nonsense and um, emotional this discussion. I I think that this whole shared mobility aspect is 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 something which which has it re- has its reason uh, to really look at um, as a from a city perspective. From all our work we we did with. Um, with, with cities across the world, I can talk about that. Chicago, we, we, we looked at the greater Paris area, we looked at and, and, and thought through their mobility system holistically from today to, to 2030. And what you see there is that if you, if you just continue your, 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 your path, uh, your, your, your path, so to say, uh, on which you are currently, the whole thing will end in a complete disaster by 2030. So you will have more pollution, you will have more congestion. The cost of, of, of per kilometer for us as as, as uh, inhabitants in those cities will will increase. So complete disaster. So you need to do something. Um, otherwise, um, you, 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 the, 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 the mobility system will, will be stuck in something where you don't want to have it. And um, now there's uh, what we also find in that uh, in that work with those cities across the world is is, is that is there is not a silver bullet. Um, so you you don't need to do one thing, um, but you need to do a whole range of topics. But the one thing which which always comes out, no matter how you how you analyze kind of the the mobility patterns and how they might change, is that you need to basically condense people in vehicles. So you need to bring more people. On, on a square meter, so to stay on a street, uh, then you have it today. And that you can do through public transit, obviously, which is a very um, effective means of transport in, in, in the sense of space and also sustainability. But, I mean, we all know how long it takes to build a new uh, railway track somewhere or an underground or so. So, obviously, um, and how, how much capex it takes. That cannot be the solution for for everything. So um, to to efficiently bring a big group of people from A to B, that's that's still a good thing. But then um, the next level, so to say, is is then to to bring intelligently five, six, seven people into one sort of vehicle uh, and bring individual folks from A to B, and that other person hops on the the, the, the minibus in C and gets to D, but it's Roughly the same, the, the same direction. So this hop on, hop off thing in a in a in a in a intelligent and connected world, so to say, which which you can call um, pooled shared mobility. Right. So that's that's the important term. 
pooled. And, 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 and this is kind of a, a, all the models which we did figure or come out with that this is a very effective means of transport to complement public transport um, for those last mile or short distances uh, topics. And, 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 and this is something um, basically which, which cities um, from our perspective must consider um, if they really want to uh, in the next 10 years uh, crack the nut. Now, that's not where the money is nowadays flowing into, right? Um, it's neither e-hailing, it's neither car sharing, it's, 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 it's also not micromobility. But you, if, you, if you think then again holistically and, and, and say, hey, okay, we have now brought a certain percentage, high percentage of people from A to B through public transport on, and, and pool shared mobility, there is also then other use cases, smaller distances where we figure out micromobility can be super effective to, to rapidly get individuals from and very also sustainably from A to B, super complementation to, to that. And, and, and also kind of, let's say, maybe a more premium offering, um, something like, like e-hailing or, or, or robo-shuttles later on maybe, is, is also something where, where you have um, business people, for example, um, or um, time-sensitive trips where you really need urgently get from, from place A to A, B and cannot wait for 10 minutes for the shuttle, uh, which, which has spice or stuff like that. There is, there is complementary use cases which, which help the whole ecosystem then to, to, work, to work well. That's, that's one argumentation why you need it. The other, and, and why so much money is flowing into that, I think the other is Obviously, even if you think long term, the, the, the pool shuttles are important, you somehow need to get the customers there and, and you need to kind of get them used to using shared mobility. And, and so that's obviously, let's say, a good uh, bridge business model um, um, to, to, get, to make people um, to get used to it. And, and so that's why I, I think it's... it's, it's um, it, there, there is a reason behind um, why that, why that, this, this, yeah, it, it makes sense to invest into those things. Not, not in all of them, and, and probably we see quite some consolidation over time, but, um, but still in, in, the, in the bigger, the bigger scheme. Do you think, like, if you compare, for example, you know, uh, the Western Hemisphere, uh, let's say, or let, let's say Europe, uh, typical Europe, uh, European capital, or um, even the United States, even though I would argue that the infrastructure in terms of trains or whatsoever obviously cannot be compared to, uh, to the US because they, they are really lacking on, on that side. Uh, but let's say, let's compare Europe, for example, to, to China, right? Or Asia, um, maybe even Japan or so. You know, we see that clearly, um, you know, for example, let's take Germany or, or even France or whatsoever. The countries are so small that, you know, for example, somehow we are still we're like we're still not able to kind of you know extend the infrastructure that we have here beyond what, what we have already you know because the thing is for example you would not need any inter inter uh, let's say inter-country uh, flights for example right let's say germany for example the, all the flights are happening between hamburg and frankfurt right like i mean yeah. b because of the whole hub system and stuff like that there would not be there's no need for, for all these flights if you would have like, you know, high speed trains or whatsoever, you know, if infrastructure could be further developed. And if you look at China, for example, or so like, or, or uh, Asia in general, right? Like, I mean, the standard is completely different, right? And it's really interesting to observe that. 
Yeah, uh, I, I think you are we're touching upon different very relevant topics. I mean, maybe to start with, this whole, let's say, future urban mobility design is, is, is a super local um, individual optimization. And you have very, very different starting points. You can cluster them or we cluster them typically in what we call at the highest level city archetypes. Mm -hmm. So very easily speaking, in a, in, a, in a very dense city like Paris, London, it's, it's, it's different compared to already a less dense city like Munich, um, compared to an even less uh, dense city in, in, uh, somewhere in the, in the US, right? So the, the, the sprawled cities there. So there it starts already, right? On, on that high level, some um, some things are more applicable than others, right? It, it's, it's for the US cities. They are in a, very often in a situation. It's it's very tough to to make public transit work because it, the density is just not good enough, and, and people would walk need to walk so so long to a station. It just doesn't work, um, and it, or it's very difficult at least. Whereas in in, in Asian cities very dense people is much more effective um, and it makes a lot more sense and 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 so that's that's it depends on the let's say structure of the city but also on the the starting point so already today in um in in in, in, in many asian cities uh, shanghai or so that the, the share of public transit um, is already today double as high as for example in, in paris or london which is already very high, right, compared to, to smaller cities. So, but, but there you have already a very different starting point so that also the future will, um, to our sense, look, look, look different because where, where we have already such a high amount of people using public transit, it's very easy to, to keep that up or even slightly improve. Now, for, for all those um, where, where that share is, is, is lower, um, let's say in, in Europe, can be in European cities, but also then in, in US city, you have in, indeed that question of, shouldn't I build something? And there's urban and, and intercity, I think still then two different topics. And I'm, I'm now starting to talk about urban again. Shall I build something uh, in new underground or, or so? Or shall I look into other things like pool shared mobility, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. as a smaller lead time and, 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 and less capex. And, and so I, I think that will be a case by case situation, and I will see that there, there will there will still be infrastructure projects, and maybe even more than we had in the last ten years, because governments see um, or mayors see that that if they if they don't actively push more, let's say, condensation of people, um, the, the system will not work. I can imagine that we will see even more also innovative stuff right like like the roadway companies who have already operations running in some cities in, in latin america or so where where you say hey I, I i still have a high speed way to get people from a to b but i can be faster than building an underground because the roadway is much easier to to get into the city than than an underground so also stuff like that i, I guess we will see more than over the last 10 years and um, but, but but that that will still always be stuck in that in that time um, time or lead time problem and and the and the and the business case problem so to say and, right. the, and the capex problem so that's why 
um, the, the urban space, I, I see or we see more growth mm. than uh, even in those shared pooled modes. Long distance will be interesting. And, and I think that there, uh, let me make that comment, which, which is COVID related. I think there COVID might, might indeed accelerate something where, where um, our, our um, surveys show that, that people uh, across the world really currently believe that they will travel less by plane and by train also, to be honest. So generally less in long distance, but, but planes even more significantly than, than everything else. And, and so I, I can well imagine that this in combination with the sustainability topic really might end up in an acceleration here of, of kind of using more, let's say, more sustainable modes and then triggers the, the countries also to, to invest here even more than they had planned before. So I think that's, that's clearly an opportunity, I think, mm -hmm. where, where we might see some dynamics coming up. Yeah. Um we we got to look at the watch because uh, otherwise we're not going to get into the other topics uh, that's a problem I had last question maybe to briefly for for to briefly kind of if if you can briefly answer that one uh, to close up the, the 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 whole chapter of shared what we have seen is um once let's say Uh, the whole micromobility really took off in, in, in the big cities was that quickly the local municipalities and governments were really overwhelmed basically with, uh, with this whole new situation. Do you believe that, for example, if I take a, if I take a metropolitan city like Paris, for example, right, or London or whatsoever, do you believe that, you know, because all of these companies, you know, either the, 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 the bike or everything that is related to shared mobility in the sense are all, are all privately funded, right? So there's always like kind of a, a VC in, uh, behind these uh, VC activities, basically. Do you believe that still like, you know, coming to this whole pool or whatsoever, that this kind of lies in the responsibility of the local, uh, local government or let's say local municipality to kind of, kind of enrich the mobility offering basically of the city, right? You know, because The, uh, they were also responsible to kind of uh, put in new regulations in terms, in terms of the scooters and stuff like that once it escalated, for example, in Paris and stuff like that, right? I think what's clear, the, the, the city governments need to, to take a role here and, and need to play a role here. I, I think that's clear. What is also clear that in many cities, this is maybe starting currently, but, but we are not there where, where I think the, the cities must be. And that has to do with with the fact that th this is kind of an area where, which is also new for, for the cities, they, they just don't have the capabilities and people uh, who, who can drive that because that, that, that was never their, their focus. Um, so they need to play a role. I think we will see very different levels of involvement or, or ownership role here. I think there will be cities, maybe then uh, if you have greenfield cities in China in mind, where basically the whole system will be designed by the city and local government, which are taking basically ownership over the mobility as a service space um, and, and really organizing who is doing what there um, and having developing and optimizing the whole system. But I do believe then that on the other side, we will also have cities across the world where a, a private sector coalition will will try to get that going still in, in the boundaries which are given by <clears throat> the local governments, which, um, 
which um, need to be there. So you can imagine of kind of having a, a specific, let's say, data room where you make sure every one of the providers is, is, is giving data into and receiving data from thinking payment through, also thinking through um, that you need licenses or you even have tenders for a specific region, but you still let, you let them the, the ownership and operations, you leave that to, to the private sector. I'm pretty sure that we will have both extremes and, and very many gray areas uh, across the world over the next 10, 15 years, maybe forever even. Yeah. Um, cities will find different answers there. Uh, perfect. Then let's jump into uh, into the next ones. Something that maybe uh, has been uh, or something that has been really up to date a couple of days ago, I think uh, last end of last week or beginning of this week. I'm not really that sure when the first notification came in. Now diving into the whole world of connectivity or let's say having the primary primary mode of, of transportation, which is still the car for most people in this world. The big automotive players in Germany decided to kind of build out their own um, system for for their cars. Basically, that is basically the first one that I uh, that I want to touch upon. Is uh, we we see that the car is kind of becoming more and more. The the focus in the car has become more and more on let's say its ability in terms of connect connectivity. So everything that is around around entertainment but also in terms of let's say the capability to connect with our smartphone and, and also the the all the applications that we can have on our let's say uh, running system inside the car and more and less from on the on the car right so on the actual driving let's say and uh, i find that very interesting obviously the whole the whole oem um, are really in a big transformation right now and uh, really kind of uh, shifting towards building up you know, uh, or transforming into a digital first company or a kind of, they're trying to really kind of uh, trying to become software companies or software first. That is uh, more or less what they try to do, especially uh, I think Volkswagen is a really good example that are where the CEO is really kind of trying to do that. So what is your, how do you, what are your major, major obser observations in, in that sense, you know, and in the whole context of connectivity? I, I think that's, that's a very good example to see the, to see the shift from for, for that automotive industry coming from a one-time sales perspective, getting into a recurring revenue perspective, right? So I, I sell the car and then it's done, basically. That's my single customer interface. Yeah, I do some service then later on, but the dealers are doing that anyway. So from an OEM perspective, basically I sell the car and then it's done. And then I hopefully sell the next car in two years afterwards. To I create revenues continuously, and this is basically a major shift in terms of the business model, it's a major shift in terms of thinking, it's a major shift in terms of capabilities and, and, and people you need. But this is basically a good, a very good example and how a, what a severe transition the industry is in general. Now we, I think that, just to say that up front, we, we I think on our first um, research uh, on the topic was back in 2016 and we tried to structure the use cases and, and, and try to think through what kind of revenue can you can generate with which business models and what comes out is it's it's basically a, a huge revenue pool right I, I, we said or value pool let me put it that way of roughly between yeah, maybe in the, in the range of around 500 billion US dollar 
globally uh, per year, so to say, in by 2030. Now, and this is kind of structured in, you, you can really generate revenue, and you mentioned things like add-on services, like usage-based insurance or pay-per-use services, like the, the, the whole entertainment space or over-the-air updates and, and, and just also data monetization topics um, like, like you're selling data also. So that's the revenue side and also on the other side you have the cost savings side which also generates revenue. You, you develop only features which customers really need and not something else, right? And you learn that while analyzing data of your customers. So the, the pool is huge. Now, <clears throat> reality check shows um, over the last five years that kind of the the ramp up of successful business models so far is not as steep as uh, also we would have imagined uh, five years back. And just from also a lot of projects with, with clients on that topic, it, it turns out that there's quite some hurdles um, to make those business models work. It starts with, it's not so easy to, to really specifically define the, the value for a customer pay money for something i think some features are, are easier i don't know I, I i watch a i watch a film and i need to pay for it maybe uh, that's something we are somehow used to it but that's not to be honest that's not where the, the biggest values lie from our perspective it's it's more in kind of putting very different parties together and and by that creating value and and this is this is, this is not so easy to define, one, so what's the, really the, the value I create, and two, it's not so easy to then realize when you need different parties. And those two hurdles, um, I think, make, make it quite challenging for every player in that field to become successful and, and to create a successful business model. Now with the, the more recent announcement, I, I, I think that first and foremost is, is probably a communication topic, right? Uh, I want to even more shift my, let's say, uh, company into that mindset and want to kind of make everyone clear in the company, you, we, we need all of you to really make that work, all your ideas, but also all your mindset then in a sense of implementation to get over those hurdles, to really create something which has value and to open up for working together with other parties. And, and once we end, I think we are getting slowly into that mindset of, of all ecosystem players. And it's not only the automotive companies, it's really also, again, the insurance players, the rental car companies, etc., who are getting more used to open up and to look for, for areas where some parties together can create really a, a service which is which is uh, which is something valuable for us as customers. Yeah, hundred percent. I, uh, I I can totally agree with you on that, especially especially on the whole data monetization side. You know, it was always argued that yeah, you know, a car is is collecting a lot of data. You know, but the problem is obviously classic OEM when they have their digital units or let's say uh, you know the people that are thinking about that stuff, right? They say like, yeah, you know, we, we also got to monetize on the data that we have, you know, because like all these big tech companies are, you know, also kind of building up their business models are all based on data and stuff like that. Right. But to be honest, as far as 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 as, as today, you know, we haven't really seen like I've done um, uh, research on data monetization back in 2018. And so far, you know, it, there's not much to be seen yet, you know, uh, not really that many business models, you know, that have been created up or let's say new, you know, and I think that's really what, what, what we see right now, 
that is exactly uh, exactly this you know because the OEMs really know okay the focus will not be on on building you know on building cars and making money off of of the cars you know but they're really trying to find to to find these new ways but since today they're still struggling you know like we i don't see that many like for example another something that uh, I've read it also maybe in a, in a in a McKinsey study or something like that. You know, is this whole this whole concept of machine to machine communication, right? So that when we when we say okay, we when generally uh, in gen in general we will get into a more connected world, right? But uh, so where basically things, right? That is the, obviously the whole the whole uh, subject on Internet of Things, where things basically um, communicate with each other, right? So that the car is able to communicate, for example, with the gas station, right? So that when you get in, like for example, or not the gas station, maybe like you, you get in, your uh, car is being charged and then and, 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 and you the payment is done automatically without you, let's say, um, having to yeah. leave the car whatsoever, right? But these things are still, I mean, they're, you're, you still don't see like some, like, let's say, like some light in that sense where, where you could say like, okay, you know, we see some examples where this, th these things are happening, you know? That's why I totally agree with you on, on, on this side, you know? And I think it's the, what I meant earlier, right? So you, you, you create that value only when you put different parties together. And maybe just one, one very, uh, or two examples, basically. One which is more consumer-related, the other is more kind of B2B-related one. You imagine, right, a situation you are driving in your car, you are looking at a restaurant, right? And you would be able to say over their voice recognition, hey, what's that restaurant over there? And then yeah. say, add the whatever. And, and then, okay, oh, that's cool. How is it rated, right? And then you, you continue that conversation like with a normal kind of passenger in the car. And it says, yeah, it's five-star rated. Uh, super cool prices are like that. Today's menu is that. And say, okay, can I reserve a table for tonight? And this kind of conversation, right? I would say there is... You, you create value with them and then, then you reserve the table, right? Again, everyone can imagine that this conversation would create a certain value for that restaurant, right? If that could happen, to, could take place and there would be willingness to pay off that restaurant to be part of the, such a conversation. Now, this example shows you need a lot of preconditions to make that happen, right? You need to, to have a face recognition camera in the car, um, you need a, a good voice recognition, which really works. You need to link it to kind of a, a mapping service, which which kind of knows where the car is and what you are then looking on. Then you need to to have a party who provides the the, the rating of the restaurant. Then you need to connect it to a booking service platform, and uh, and, 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 and and the last step to the restaurant. Right. So you need a lot of players to make such a dialogue, which is relatively simple use case to be honest to make that happen and then, then you need across very different oems and different cars different types and so on this this i think this is a good easy example to see how challenging it is but we are um there is there is a there, there is a player who is working on something like that and and, and this is, is, is kind of you have to show the pilot in the ces another b2b use case is is kind of a, a damage sensor, right? So you have, you are a great supplier, a tech supplier, you have invented a wonderful uh, crash sensor who realizes small scratches um, on the on the coating, right? Uh, okay, now you have that thing. And um, how do I now create recurring revenue with that? So you can either sell it to a, an OEM who says, well, why do I need that, right? So that's the old business model. But you also can try to say, who is really, where is really value 
created. And this is um, basically identifying where, how, and, and, and when such a scratch has happened. And by that, you can tracing back better than before who is responsible for it. Or maybe even link it to kind of the police or something like that. But then you need, again, so then you would say the real value is created with the insurance company who can... Exactly, where you rate the geographical... I, I thought about it as well, where you ra basically rate the geographical areas basically in terms of how many cases are happening, right? Yeah, or you are avoiding that if you think that in a rental car use case, you're avoiding that someone creates a scratch, right, while he is renting that vehicle, but you haven't realized that um, and cannot, cannot make him respons responsible. Right. Um, but if you would be able to do that, you would probably get a, 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 the insurance package for reduced premium, and by that you are again creating value. But again, you need you, you need many parties for that. You need the, the, the supplier of that sensor. You need the car company who needs to build it in. You need um, you, you need the, the, the rental car company if I take that as a feed owner, and you need the insurance player. So at least four parties who, who need to to play a role here and who need to start talking together. Um, but again, significant, um, and, and we calculated that through, through for a client, significant value we can uh, generate right. with that. Um, and, but you, 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 you really need to bring then those people together and, and make them work together. And I would say what has really changed now uh, between 2018 when you did that research um, and, and, and now is that um, back then, Everyone was theoretically aware of that, that somehow this needs to happen. Nowadays, I would say looking into the companies, they are working on it really and making it happen. Yeah. Still not in small scales um, and, 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 and not yet that you can, it's, it's relevant for, for the, for the P&L, but they are really working on it. And there's units working on it and people working on it and, and, and that has kind of the activity level at least has scaled and and so I, I i would see that we will see more and more of that also then affecting our daily lives um really in the, in the next few years yeah 100 percent. i i believe also that the cases are i mean the cases are it's just about also again, right? It's about the customer experience. If we, if everybody knows, I mean, like if you if you look at the if if you look at the models, right? The the, the of every let's say big uh, automotive company, um, this the the central thing, right, is the big screen, you know, in, inside inside the inside the car, right? So that is clearly a focus, right? So the other thing is then to to then really understand, okay, so what does my customer actually need, right? So. Uh, in terms of the, the the experiences, and I always I always thought about this as well. Like one 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 use case where I, where I thought about is like, okay, obviously the 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 um the, it, it, there always needs to be some sort of communication between multiple parties, right? But then again, I mean, you know that that should not be really the problem, right? I mean, for example, this use case that I was always been thinking about. In, in, in Europe, uh, you know, uh, the, the infrastructure in terms of supermarkets and stuff like that is super good, right? I mean, in every village you have all, uh, all the major, almost, yeah. right? But like, I mean, uh, for most of the part of the countries, uh, there's a, a very good infrastructure. There's always, 
let's say that the major the major um, uh, let's say supermarkets uh, or chains are always there right so why would there not be a collaboration between let's say and their efforts are also more and more digital right so they they, they bring their offering their product offering also online you know have been trying out let's say delivery and stuff like that so why are there why is there not a collaboration between let's say an OEM, right? And uh, let's say one of the major food chains, uh, supermarket chains that you have, right? And that basically being integrated then technologically, I mean, everything is possible, you know, through APIs and stuff like that. Why is it not that if I'm driving, you know, and I see like, okay, I can type in what my favorite supermarkets are, you know, and then like, I again can check on whether I need something, you know, and then they can basically pull the information through, through an API or whatever, you know, whether that is, that is currently on sale or whatsoever, you know, I mean, that is all technologically, that is all possible, you know, it's just really that these initiatives, I think it's just that they, that the car companies need to double down, you know, to really say, okay, if we, if that is what we, what we focus on, if we want to provide more customer experience or better customer or and more enriched customer experience, then there needs to be definitely a focus more on that, right? Yeah. 100%. again has to do with with opening up right um, and, yeah. and getting used to to do that and and also to be fair right um just to make that comment now um we are only talking now about the second trend of the four big ones uh, and there's right. even more beyond that but this is the whole bunch of topics they have on their plate currently, exactly right? yeah um, and so that's that's also part of the challenge that they, 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 they have a limited um, number of resources to, to work on all of that. And, and, and so yeah. um, um, some prioritization is, is then the, the outcome of that thing. But, but I, I completely agree. And um, but I, I, I said before, I, I do see more momentum in that space and, and, and really do hope that we will see more of those use cases as you described them um, in, in the next few years. Okay, so uh, then let's uh, keep moving forward because obviously we kind of need to keep the time in mind. So let's talk about, uh, let's say, the one that is really kind of affecting us, I guess, uh, at the moment, which is really, let's say, the whole transformation to electrification or let's say electrified uh, vehicles. I had the opportunity to talk uh, to uh, one of the executives of a German uh, automotive company, actually, beginning of this year as well. And uh, we were also invited to, um, let's say, one of these pre-screenings, so, uh, which are kind of these, um, what is it, more or less these events for the press where they're kind of presenting the new models. And what's just really, really interesting to observe is that, or uh, there it was, I really realized that OEMs are really doubling down, or let's say they're going all in into electric uh, electric uh, mobility, right? So all the models that are coming up, everything is kind of like really prepared for that, and and it's really interesting to see that in a matter of I don't know, like one two years or so, you know, everything kind of shifted towards that, and and it's 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 really it's really uh, crazy to see that. Also, what I found interesting is to add a comment to what you said in the beginning is that most of the companies that you're also working with you know are maybe from the telecommunication uh, spectrum or other industries uh, which where you would not really assume right away that they're let's say into mobility i was talking also to or which that one is actually quite obvious uh, a person from shell as well where they also thinking kind of okay how is the gas station kind of looking the the gas station is the future or the new gas station right so that is um and, and where you also see okay you know that is really 
everything is is changing you know like uh, you, you kind of think uh, think of a um, of a gas station in a completely different way once that say the majority of vehicles are electric right and then also uh, depending on how fast can you charge a vehicle right now so being research really being pushed uh, on let's say for example gm and stuff like that on really kind of having the supercharging and really fast charging so what are some of the things that um, that, that you see there I completely agree that this is um, yeah quite quite um, massive what what's going on in, in that in that powertrain space um, and and I, I also agree that 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 the focus of many of the um, automotive manufacturers is, is currently really on on battery and and, 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 and hybrid electric vehicles um, there's there's literally hundreds of, of um, SOPs or so new models being launched um, over the next few years, which consumers, let's say average consumers, still haven't fully realized that this is this is coming as a as a true wave. Um, yeah. um, um, but um, but but more and more kind of realize it, and 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 and, and maybe that side comment of the of the COVID. Um, um, of the COVID time shows that that uh, so far EVs have been um, kind of um, in, in in relative numbers the, the clear winners of of kind of those last few weeks. Um, but still, this is still the, the, the tip of the iceberg. Now, where is that all coming from? Um, also, to be explicit, it's 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 still at the moment. Um, to a very large extent driven through regulation. So um, it depends on, on kind of the geography or the, or the, or the country or what the regulation there is. If I, if I stick to Europe, it's this um, famous CO2 emission targets of 95 gram per kilometer, um, which, which uh, becomes then really effective and being um, uh, 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 penalized by, by next year, so to say, at least so far. Um, and, 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 and we, are, we are well then 10% um, higher currently with, with fleet sales, um, at, at least, uh, 2019 sales. So there, there really needs to happen something. And, and if you don't do that, um, then you, as, as I mentioned, you need to pay those, those penalties or fines. And, and that, from an again economic point of view, doesn't make any sense. Um, so um, uh, you, you can calculate it through. You can spend quite a bunch of money um, to to kind of do a, pre, a, a rebate on those EVs just to get it out. It, it's still more economic um, than than uh, paying those fines. We don't do that. So that's that's ultimately, to be very honest, um, currently the, the the trigger of all those activities. Um, and and um, in, in a similar sense, um, this is other. There's other incentive schemes in the other regions, but but still there. <clears throat> it's currently still regulation driven. Um, the good news is, so to say, is that um, we are getting closer to that, that point where um, the, the total cost of ownership of for us as a consumer to drive an electric vehicle, a battery electric vehicle. Um, is, is, is not too too far away and, and we have that break even point. Um, there is already some who, who say for, for our vehicles that's already the case today, right? And, and specifically if you, you go in the segments of, 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 of short range electric vehicles, 
um, it, 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 the calculation is indeed uh, easily done um, that, that you, you drive cheaper today already. Um, because the battery size is not so big, which is the most expensive component. And the energy cost on the other side is, is lower than um, what you have with an internal combustion engine. So um, this is going um, then also over other segments is, is going to, to kind of break even uh, in the next few years. And then indeed, um, you, 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 you probably will then have step by step also more and more consumers realizing this and and then we we will get from a regulatory push into more consumer pull for those vehicles but today we are still in the push uh, scheme of, of things so how how much of a let's say a time frame are we are we are we looking at like in terms of you know as you said in the next coming years i mean it will be also something just you know if something is pushed into the market right and the alternatives are becoming, let's say the alternative is just becoming less, you know, like for example, in terms of combustion engines or whatsoever, you know, then do you think that, you know, I mean, well, I believe also that, you know, the, it, it will not that take that much of a time for, you know, the con consumer behavior to kind of change or the perception of the consumer to, to change in terms of what a, uh, let's say what the experience of an electric vehicle is right but that also obviously has to do with let's say one of the major major drawbacks for most consumers obviously that thought in terms of okay what is my range right so what is the range of the vehicle you know and in terms of how how long does a charging charging session last right so but uh, there's also obviously uh, developments in terms of battery uh, or char char charging technology and stuff like that what is what is what is up uh, going on in, in that space yeah and i think that's 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 an important area so it, it, it's on the one hand it has to do with the mindset of people and and we we figure out when, when you ask um, non-ev owners um what's the biggest hurdle for you not to buy an ev then this this Range anxiety, or, or 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 let's say um, um, charging issue, is is always on top of the list. Whereas when you ask those guys who have already an EV, um, that goes down to number three or four or five of pain points with the vehicle. So you even today you, you somehow get along, um, and it's, there's a certain bias, right? That, those early adopters probably have a home where they can charge and it's maybe then their second car only or whatever, but there's certain bias, but still, I, I, I just from own experience, I, I, I would say that's, that's, that will not be in the long run an issue, but it's still a mental thing of, of people um, before they have, have, have used one. But there's also, to be honest, a, a practical and, and realistic challenge to it. Um, if you if you think of, of people living in dense areas in the city center right who cannot have a wall box at home um so today's streets are not really prepared for that um and the fast charging which you then can do at a, a formerly known gas station so a fast charging station in inner city or so um is it isn't existing yet or is not kind of working with all the vehicles which are out there or it's only with the more expensive ones so there is indeed practical challenges still to be solved which we haven't solved as a as a society or as a country um i'm still i'm i'm optimistic so to say that um that 
we somehow keep up with the increasing demand um, that then there this then will so increasing demand of the of the vehicles then the demand for charging will increase the complaints will increase and by that also the let's say um, cities will react and 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 the private players in terms of inner city fast charging will react and and will will extend the offering um, but there uh, to be honest, this is there's also work to be done, um, which which needs to be solved. Mm. Yeah, especially the infrastructure. The infrastructure uh, aspect is a is a big one, right? So, um, is that is that something? Is that something that? Um, so, who who's whose responsibility is basically to kind of you know. Um, to to kind of cover that, you know, like will there also be will there also be uh, some sort of like a standard as well? You know, there needs to be some sort of standard, obviously, in order to cover, let's say, every every model that that, that will be introduced as well. And whose responsibility is it to kind of like um, to kind of you know enhance or let's say enrich or let's say more or less accelerate the the, the infrastructure? That's a very good question. Um... There, there is no clear responsibility, right? That, mm -hmm. That's probably the, the, the challenge here. Um, and and you can look into who, who should do it, uh, or who has a stake here. Um, but that field is not super clear, right? You have the you have the the, 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 the public sector, uh, so the cities, uh, basically, um, who um, who could play that role uh, and are playing that role in some some areas. But um, there, then the challenge is that you have many, many different cities across the world who don't have the same standards or the same approach here. Well, that's a challenge here. Um, you, have the, you have the utilities who might find the business model, which is interesting. Um, to be honest, that also is currently not the case, right? It's, it's, uh, you, you, you don't make money with, with uh, charging. Um, it has to do with scale, right? But it's um, it's it's a long way, right? So uh, they also don't immediately jump on the opportunity. I mean, everyone is active and 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 is trying to get the foot in the door. Um, and in the Nordics, where where you have scaled up, it, it has kind of become also attractive, more attractive. And, and and there you see, but it's a it's here where the density is not as high. Um, it's it's a longer way, so that's why they are a bit hesitant here. And then you have. Uh, as a third party, you have the the uh, automotive manufacturers who who have the challenge. They need to sell those cars, as described before. Yeah. Um, but they only sell it when people can charge, yes. and and uh, and so they have an intrinsic motivation to also crack that thing. But they feel, and I would say that's a fair point. They they feel not as the primary responsible party in that game because they 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 are not an energy company right or so so this this field is um, it, again it's it's one of those typical situations in, in this new mobility ecosystem where it needs different players or different players can play a role but there is no legacy structure which tells who needs to do what um, and so um, also here I, I guess um, I, I'm not seeing that um, silver bullet, which we will see across everywhere. Um, so we are. I assume we will evolve. Um, we will evolve a bit in that in that patchwork scheme as we have seen it so far. Um, and and hopefully, and that's again my my expectation. Um, 
the, 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 the supply of charging infrastructure uh, is, is just following the demand. Um, and, and so um, it, it will work out somehow. I think, I think uh, Tesla has done a really tremendous job with their fast charging infrastructure. You know, obviously, this will be a really big leverage for for you know for for them and their customers, basically, which is kind of obviously a you know a, a model model specific uh, you know charging opportunity, obviously, you know, which is which is uh, key to key to the customers and let's say also kind of unique for the customers, right? Uh, I mean, their infrastructure the infrastructure is, is has been built out quite quite extensively in the US as well as in Europe and they're continuing yeah. to do so and you know even even if there's uh, you know even if there's you know going to be ex, uh, charging opportunities uh, accelerated you know they still have this you know su superior basically opportunity and, and 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 their own infrastructure so that is obviously uh, something i believe besides the product and obviously also the very you know, strategic and smart decisions that have been in the forefront, uh, or let's say kind of the role as a f f for, uh, forerunner, basically, that is also an, a really important part, I, I guess, to, to take into account. Yeah, and I think it's it's two things as, as early movers, so to say, in that space, they by that, by their own infrastructure, they, they solved that chicken egg problem. Uh, they couldn't wait for someone else building up the infrastructure because everyone would have said, yeah, there's no demand for those things. Yeah, Why should yeah, I build yeah. that? So yeah. they, they basically there was probably no real alternative. Yeah. That's one. Um, and the, the other thing is, um, I think they made um, they made something out of it. Um, it. It was not just an obligation by but by now having that infrastructure and by by having now kind of a, a fleet of local storage devices, right? Which mm -hmm. they are connected to their kind of grid, um, they now can play indeed a role in that whole energy uh, balancing, um, so smart grid game. And basically, they um, they can sell energy, right, in exactly. peak hours. Um, so that's a, they are opening up with that whole infrastructure and with their own vehicle fleet, so to say, a whole new um, uh, game here as an as an if you wish as an energy provider. Which I think is, is is something which which at the end can can make the whole um, economics of their charging infrastructure work um, in, in the long run. Yeah. But I mean, um, also that is I mean that was a for a premium manufacturer like like, like Tesla um, is, is is aspiring to be is I think that was that was an option um, because they I mean all their customers have. A home charging opportunity, and the only thing they need is, is a fast charging for longer distances. But that whole problem of, of, of slow charging, overnight charging in a city is, is a totally different game, right? Yeah, 100%. Which is where they are also not in. 100%. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's. That's not the solution for everything. Right? Exactly, exactly. So um, we always we obviously need to look at the at the time, and we're almost up. So that's why we kind of that I, I uh, strategically let the the last topic to be on on uh, let's say autonomous driving because they are obviously the time frame for what we really could uh, call autonomous driving vehicles uh, looks a little bit longer. So uh, to put it, let's say what is your what is on your mind. Uh, in let's say and in, in briefly in let's say two three sentences when you think about the current state of 
autonomous driving and uh, where where it is heading basically um indeed i i keep it short um i think we must differentiate that's that's thought number one we must differentiate between the use case inner city robo shuttle or robo taxi um, and kind of uh, the other one private vehicle um, let's say highway pilot situation and then private use uh, private cars um, I, I see that let me start with the second one um, this is really will take us some time until we as end customer or private car users can buy such a feature really level four working well in all the places uh, across the world that, that will take some time um, versus I do believe that we see an ongoing momentum in the in the robot taxi robot shuttle space um, um, and that has two reasons one is is there's a just a normal natural technical reason you have lower speed um, I mean, yes, in a city, there's the, the, the situation, the driving situation is more complex. That's where, where we see all that going on currently in suburban space where it's easier. But the super huge advantage is, 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 is the low speed uh, thing um, where reaction times can be higher by that, etc. Um, also, less can happen. The other thing is the business case. So um, for a private car, it's just a feature which someone like you and me needs to pay for that specific person. Um, whereas in a, in a robo situation, robo in a shared mobility situation, basically, you have the advantage of getting rid of the driver and the cost of the driver, which, which is a significant one, specifically in high, high income countries uh, like here in Europe. Um, and so basically you can invest a lot of uh, a lot more money into technology than you could do in the private car use case. And so there's, again, a business case reason why why so much focus is currently and so much momentum is in that shared mobility space in that field. And that's why I do believe um, this is clearly the timeline which is, which is shorter ahead of us that we will see a scale up there. Um, maybe and now, a second thought, um, and, and maybe already final thought, uh, is that is that is, is which a bit now will that be postponed through uh, through COVID? Um, because I have heard that question quite a bit now. Um, and again, I would exactly put it in those two buckets. I would see in the, in the private car use case, yes, and and we saw already some announcements in that shared mobility use case. Um, I do believe that um, the, 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 those companies who are massively investing in that space will continue to do that partially also because they are not so much um, affected by, 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 the, um, by, the, by the COVID city crisis. Um, but they, they clearly, the investors who are, have invested their money in that space see that business model, which is working. And so I don't see any reason why they should not believe anymore in that given all the urban mobility developments I talked earlier before. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I do believe in the, again, in the, in the, in the helicopter perspective, um, in that use case, shared mobility, we will see ongoing momentum also on autonomous driving. Yeah, perfect. Um, I think last comment from my side on that as well. Uh, 
obviously the um, from a regulatory perspective as well uh, the, the the use case of uh, let's say helicopters um, or uh, is obviously easier to solve than the the ones uh, let's say where you have human interaction obviously on the streets and stuff like that uh, inner city um, I believe uh, there's this really interesting comment you know like if I'm in New York City uh, what do you think um, uh, I'm gonna get faster to my point uh, of you know where I want to go to by walking or with an autonomous driving you know or compared to a taxi you know with a taxi it's already uh, longer than by foot you know and then if you take an autonomous car you know we'll stop with everything you know because it's just so busy and so many people and everything you know yeah yeah, and, and, and autonomous that maybe one sentence, one sentence, autonomous itself will not solve any problem um, yeah. which cities currently have. It, it, it also only goes into getting uh, more people on the on the same amount of square meters, and this is pooling people. And then it's getting it's getting um, a business case um, even more attractive. So that's 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 uh, that's true. Yes. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Thank you very much, Timo, uh, for this very interesting conversation. It was actually uh, quite, quite long, but very, very super interesting. And uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, it was a real pleasure also on my side.